0: So today we are starting a brand new series we're very excited about a series called to the scattered the first letter of Peter series where we will, uh, as the title implies, spend a couple of months walking through the first letter of Peter or 1 Peter, as it's perhaps better known to a lot of us. If you've been with us for any amount of time, then you know that we like to practice this rhythm in our preaching, where sometimes we'll, we'll do a more topical series, so like what we just finished in You Are Not Your Own. And then sometimes we'll follow the church calendar. That's usually on important seasons, during important seasons, like Advent, which is coming up, or Easter, once we get a little further into the spring. And then sometimes we just like to spend some time walking through books of scripture like we've done previously with Ecclesiastes or Revelation or Romans or Psalms. And we do this because we have found that this preaching rhythm enables us to kind of tune into the voice of God mediated through scripture and spirit on a number of different frequencies. Because it creates this ongoing dynamic conversation wherein we're constantly asking ourselves, hey, what does scripture have to say? What does God have to say in scripture? And then how do we faithfully interpret that and live it out in the particularities of our lives here in you know, 2023, the year of our Lord in Central Texas, or as the greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth put it. He said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read them both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Isn't that good? Now, for the majority of you who don't know, a a newspaper was, (laughs) it's a very ancient form of social media, okay? And so, uh, you get the idea here. Bart's saying, hey, you need to know what's currently going down during this particular episode of Life on Planet Earth. You need to know that. But then you also need to be able to take what's currently going down on this episode of Life on Planet Earth and place it within the much deeper and wider context of the story of creation as narrated in Scripture. Okay? So take your Bible, take your newspaper, read them both, but then interpret the newspaper through your Bible. So that's what we're going to do in this series. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. We'll turn to 1 Peter. Probably get to like the first nine verses today. A uh, reminder that anytime we walk through a book of the Bible, we have a Bible reading plan that you can access so you can read along throughout the week. It makes for a much more immersive scripture experience when you've done that. And you can find that uh, in our app under the Rule of Life tab resources. So make sure to check that out and read First Peter with us. Okay, so 1 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. a nice little Trinitarian work there and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in this, you greatly rejoiced, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. First Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. All right, so let's start here by getting a bit of a lay of the land. First Peter, as you saw there in the first phrase, it claims to be written by who? by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' first and most famous disciples, this guy who goes to become a very important and influential figure in the early Christian movement. We see that in the book of Acts. Now, there is some debate as to whether or not Peter, the Apostle Peter, actually wrote first Peter, or whether or not this was an instance of what was called pseudepigrapha, is this ancient practice wherein someone would write under a more famous and authoritative person's name. It was very common, wasn't considered, you know, like uh, being deceitful or anything like that. It was a way to honor and pay homage to someone who was an influential figure. Those who think that Peter did not write 1 Peter are very keen to point out that 1 Peter is written in this very learned, erudite, eloquent Greek. And given that Peter was an uneducated Galilean fisherman, there's just no way that Peter could have ridden good enough to have righted first Peter. <laughs> to which I say, either Joe Biden or Donald Trump is gonna be president again. <laughs> so I guess anything's possible, you know? I'm just kidding, they're both, they're great, they're both great, in all seriousness, We can't know for sure, but more recent biblical scholarship seems to have moved past the hyper-suspicious mood of previous generations and tends to affirm that we've got pretty good reason to believe that the apostle Peter did, in fact, write this letter probably during the early reign of the emperor Nero, which would have been around 60 AD, okay? And so to whom did he write this letter? Well, in the first verse, he says that he's writing to who? To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are five different regions of ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And as will become clear throughout the course of the letter, it's been alluded to here in chapter one, Peter is writing to churches, to Christians in churches that are not just suffering, but they are experiencing persecution. And it's probably not the uh, uh, official heavy-handed imperial persecution that we'll see during like, the later reign of Nero when they're you know, setting Christians on fire as candles in his courtyard or in other later emperors like Domitian or Trojan. <clears throat> but uh, rather, it's more likely the Trojan, uh, more spontaneous local persecution uh, wherein Christians are being socially excluded and slandered and marginalized by their neighbors because they were perceived as this very odd people whose commitment to Christ put them at odds with their culture in all sorts of really confounding ways. And to be more specific and to try to give you just a better feel for what it would have been like to be one of those earliest Christians, they were more or less perceived as being these uh, prudish, unpatriotic, that's a fun word, um, pagans. They were viewed as being prudish because, you know, they taught this really strict monogamous sexual ethic, which was not the norm in the ancient world. They were seen as unpatriotic because they refused to pledge their allegiance to the emperor and the empire. Uh, They were seen as déclassé because the early Christian movement was disproportionately constituted by people from very low-class social groups in the ancient world, mainly women and slaves, right? That was like the lowest classes and there were a ton of them in the early Christian movement. And then they were conceived as um, you know, pagans because they refused to pay homage to the many gods of the ancient world because of their stubborn insistence that their god was actually the only true god and all the other gods were fake, they weren't real. All of which had the cumulative effect of causing a dominant culture around them. Just give them a little bit of the side eye, you know what I mean? And, and think to themselves, like, why do you Christians have to be such a pain in the butt? <laughs> like, why can't y'all just not be so strict and prudent, Just worship the other gods, even if you don't believe in them. Pledge your allegiance to the emperor. It's not a big deal. Uh, so when we were mapping out our fall preaching calendar, we were really drawn to the first letter. Of Peter, because it felt like a really fitting uh, letter to explore after we just spent a whole month in this series called You Are Not Your Own, a series where we explored the ways in which we Christians currently find ourselves at odds with the culture around us. More specifically, how our belief that we are not our own clashes with the individualism gone wild ethos of modern culture, wherein the autonomous self's self-expression is the highest good. Now, I am on the record as having staked out a very firm position against catastrophizing, and especially catastrophizing how terrible our moment is. Y'all know I hate that, right? Because is our moment terrible? I don't know. Some things are better, some things are worse. It's complicated, but I, I am a realist, okay? And I do think it's somewhat inevitable that modern culture's individualism gone wild will probably continue to just get more wild. Because the whole, I gotta be true to myself as defined by myself wagon is uh, moving down the hill pretty fast at this point, isn't it? And I'm just not sure that anybody knows where the brakes are. (laughs) You ever get that feeling? It's like we're going down this hill, right? Just a hundred miles an hour. I gotta be true to myself as defined by myself. I gotta be true to myself as defined by myself. Okay, but what if you're an idiot? Uh, Well, that, (laughs) where's the brake for that? Nobody can find the brakes on this wagon. And so... This probably means that if we Christians are faithful to our gospel belief that you are not your own because you do not belong to yourself because you belong to Christ and you belong to the body of Christ, then we will probably find ourselves increasingly excluded or marginalized from a culture that believes that the autonomous self self-expression is the highest good. I think that's true. I do want to pause here for just a second and offer a little bit of editorial because when I talk about individualism gone wild, and the modern self's obsession with self-expression and self-discovery, I think it's very easy for a lot of us to hear that and to mainly think that I'm talking about who? Well, you can say it out loud. You think that I'm just talking about liberals and progressives, right? You can say the quiet part out loud. When I say, oh yeah, man, individualism gone wild and all these modern people are obsessed with expressing themselves, you think, yep, it's all those dadgum hippie liberals and progressives who are just obsessed with identity stuff and trying to complicate everybody's pronoun game unnecessarily and thinks everybody should spend 18 hours a day in therapy, just sleep in therapy, sleep in therapy, sleep in therapy, it's their fault. Now look, I'm surprised nobody said amen out that. I figured a couple of y'all would say amen. I'm glad you restrained yourself. While it is true that people with a more liberal or progressive sensibility, if that's you in the room today, uh, those folks certainly are pretty infatuated with the story of the self. I think that's fair. I also think it's really clear that, y'all, all all of us are infatuated with the story of the self. Everybody's wrapped up in this. Case in point, uh, I think it was two weeks ago I mentioned this book called The Great Dechurching. You remember that? documents a phenomenon by the same name which is just basically faith is in rapid decline in the modern world and um one of the most interesting things about the great dechurching is that it's actually just as big a phenomenon among conservatives as it is progressives it's just as pronounced on the right as it is on the left i want you to listen to this we often hear people attributing the loss of religious adherence solely to the left Liberalism and progressive ideology, and while it is true that the secular left has been a source of erosion for congregations, a new secular right is on the rise. And you pay attention to this, particularly among evangelicals. There is now more danger of dechurching on the right than on the left. Evangelicals are currently dechurching on the political right at twice the frequency of those on the political left. Neither the left or right are immune to the great. De-churching. Perhaps most tellingly, this is a fascinating statistic. Almost 30% of de-churched evangelicals, okay, so evangelical Christians who have de-churched and don't have anything to do with church anymore, believe that America should be a Christian nation and that America's success is an essential part of God's plan for the world, okay? So I just want you to think about this. So America should be a Christian nation and America's success is an essential part of the world's success, But you don't need to have anything to do with the church. Do those two things make sense to you? Say it with me. Individualism gone wild. And everybody is wrapped up in it. All that to say, our belief that we are not our own because we belong to Christ and we belong to the body of Christ, will likely put us at odds with a culture that believes that you are your own because you belong to yourself. And First Peter is gonna offer us some really good counsel on what it looks like to be faithfully at odds with our surrounding culture. And this brings us back to our question, to whom did Peter write this letter? Well, he tells us it's three words there in the Greek. Eclectos, peripedemos, diasporas. There are a number of ways we could translate this, but let's just start with the most literal, okay? So eclectois means to the chosen or to the elect, to to the exiles, diasporas of the diaspora. And this is a phrase that is just ringing with biblical resonance, if you've got ears to hear it. If you're not familiar with the term diaspora, It's a Jewish term that referred to Jewish people who had been dispersed or scattered, that's the most specific word translation there, out among the nations, outside of the Holy Land. And so they were forced to live as these resident aliens, immigrants, foreigners in a foreign land. This is very closely related to the concept of Exile, a very important Old Testament concept, maybe the most important concept that refers to this action whereby God would punish Israel for her unfaithfulness by allowing her to be conquered by foreign nations, in the Old Testament, mainly Babylon, and then exiled out to the other nations. So, for example, here's the prophet Zechariah expressing God's promise to eventually gather his scattered people. This is from Zechariah 10. He says, I will whistle for them to gather them together. Can anyone do one of those real loud whistles you do to get your kids? Right? That's, the one, that's the one we're talking about. God says, I'll whistle and gather them together. For I have redeemed them and they will be as numerous as they were before. When I scatter them among the peoples, then they'll remember me in far countries and they with their children will live and come back. And so here in Zechariah 2, you see it really clearly. God's saying that he has scattered his people among the nations. And so as we live, as scattered people who are waiting to be gathered, what should we do? How should we live? This is the exact question that the prophet Jeremiah was addressing in that very famous part of his prophecy. You remember from Jeremiah 29, everybody remembers verse 11, we'll read verses 4 through 14 for the whole context. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons. And give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and don't listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I haven't sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed uh, for Babylon, then I'll visit you and I'll fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Right here's the verse. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile, okay? And so notice, as they live, as God's scattered people among the nations who are waiting to be gathered, what does God say that they should do? Well, God says what? You should build houses, plant gardens. You ought to marry, become mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grandmothers. You ought to seek the welfare of the place where I have you. You seek the good of the culture you are in, no matter how hostile that culture is to you. Notice, they are not called to control the culture, or overpower the culture, or try to escape the culture, or completely ignore the culture. No, they're told to let themselves be planted wherever God has scattered them. Because that scattering is actually a what? Well, it's ascending. They've been scattered, but that scattering is actually a divine sending. It's God who's done it. Reminds me of that parable of the sower. Do you remember that one? That's what the graphic is for our scriptures from a Van Gogh painting, the parable of the sower. Jesus tells this parable. There's a farmer going out and he's throwing seed and he just throws seed all over the place, man. And it falls on different places. Some of it falls on hard ground. Some of it the birds get, some of it scorch, some of it grows up in the weeds. But then some of it finds good soil or good enough soil. And man, it grows up into this unexpected and unforeseen crop. In the same way, God has scattered his people all over the world in the hopes that we might let ourselves be planted, grow really deep roots, and then grow up into a source of healing and blessing for all the nations. You know that image we get at the end of Revelation, that tree that's there and its fruit is for what? It's for the healing of the nations. That's what we're here for, to be planted and to grow up into healing for all the nations and so look I know that it's not fun to feel scattered and God knows that we have plenty of reason to feel that way on a cultural level it is true that Christianity is you know losing its grip on the modern world that's true and that loss of control I know is a source of anger and anxiety and frustration alienation for a lot of us On a personal level, I know that a lot of us feel very scattered, alienated, and out of control. And so on levels cultural and personal and everywhere in between, I know that we sense that we're losing control. And and I do think that in many ways that is true. We are in fact losing control. But but y'all, what exactly were we expecting to happen? We're losing control. That's, That's true. But What did we think was going to happen here? And this is where there seems to be a huge disconnect between our expectations and Scripture's declarations because a lot of us seem to be under the assumption that we're supposed to be in control. (laughs) You ever get that feeling? I see a lot of people who think they should be in control. We think we're supposed to have like two hands on the cultural steering wheel, right? We're supposed to be the admirals of our own lives. That's the way we feel. And so we see our scattered situation is like the work of the devil or a sign of the impending end times. But meanwhile, God is waving both hands at us, screaming at us through scripture, going, hey, I am the one who has done this. I'm the one who has scattered you among the nations. It's not the devil, it's me. I am the one who has scattered you, who's making you live out-of-control lives so that you can learn how to depend upon me and so that the world could look at you and see that I can be depended on. It's not the devil. It's me. That's what God's saying. And so here's the deal. I... uh, I like to be in charge as much as the next person. In fact, I think I should be in charge of everything. I've told God this numerous times. It's a long-standing disagreement that me and the big guy have. (laughs) I'm hoping he'll come around and see it my way, but I don't think it's happening. So like, I I get it, man. I, I wanna be in charge as much as the next person, but here's the deal. If you want to be in charge, then my man probably shouldn't follow Jesus. If you need to be in charge, then Christianity is probably not going to be the religion for you. Because Jesus made it very clear, didn't he? He said that even he, even Jesus, what did he say about himself? He said he did not come to be served. Do you remember that? But to serve. That's what he's here for. Which means that his people are not here to control the world, but to serve the world. Which means that being scattered, being pilgrims, being out of control and not in charge is exactly what we should expect. Here's how New Testament scholar Douglas Herrick puts it. He says, "Not being in charge is the normative condition of the people created by the gospel of Jesus Christ." It's exactly what you should expect. All that to say, y'all, you know, oh my gosh, it's true. We're we're losing control. We're losing control of the world. Christianity is losing its grip on the modern world. Well, what should we do? Act like Jesus. Oh my gosh, I am not as in charge as I feel like I should be of my family, my kids, my career, my life, my job, whatever it is. What should I do? I'm not as in control as I want to be. What should I do? Act like Jesus because Jesus did not come here to put you in charge, but to liberate you from the need to be in charge So that instead of spending your whole life fighting for the steering wheel, and the rest of you feel like this is just what you're doing in your life, just fighting people off the steering wheel, man. This is my will. Everybody else, sit back. Instead of wasting your whole life doing that, you know what you can do? Man, you can sit back there in the passenger seat where you belong and enjoy the ride that God has you and all of creation on by being faithfully planted in that little bitty piece of creation where you have been scattered because that's what you're here for and i promise we will get through more than one verse next week (laughs) let's pray most gracious god we are so grateful that you have decided to host us here for another day in this fallen but still very good world that you love and that you are redeeming we come before you god old friends new friends and we confess that we do feel very scattered because we are. God, our lives are scattered in all sorts of ways. We don't feel as in control as we feel like we should be. Our cultural situation feels pretty scattered. We sense our faith losing its grip and that's a complicated thing and we feel complicated emotions about it. But we pray, God, that this morning you remind us that this scattering, ah. Oh, it's not the work of the devil. No, God, it's, it's the work of a good and faithful God who's trying to remind us that you didn't come here to put us in charge. You came here to liberate us from the need to be in charge so that we could remember we have a good and faithful Father who can be depended on and so that the world could look at the way we live totally at peace with out-of-control lives and see that there is a good and faithful God who can be depended on.